Hi, I'm Peter. I'm John. And this is Splash of Cinema. Welcome to our podcast. Yeah, welcome. So this is kind of an experimental thing. Uh, I've known John for a bit. I feel like we've both mutually gotten each other into movies. We go back. We go back. You got me on Letterboxd. Yeah, I got you on Letterboxd. And he's, a, he's got a pro account now, so this man means business. We just decided, hey, let's make a podcast, you know, uh, with COVID and everything. Uh, we're just looking for creativity and ways to, ways to talk about this. Uh, so pretty much we're just going to be talking about movies, TV, uh, whatever really we see fit. Uh, and we're also going to give you recommendations uh, just because we do watch a lot of movies. John, definitely more than me. Uh, you can tell him about your 500 movies a year, John. I just think that's ridiculous. Oh, sure. Yeah. Uh, so this year... I'm trying to watch 500 movies. I set that as like a New Year's resolution type thing. And right now I'm like 490 in. So by the end of the year, I'd probably be close to like 550, 600 movies. But I've learned a lot about cinema this year and seen a lot of really good movies and really bad ones too. We're going to have a feature on this podcast too called Hidden Gem of the Week. I've also found some hidden gems I think you guys would like. Just from watching so many movies, I've found some really good ones that I otherwise never would have watched. Yep. Uh, so that's that's pretty much the gist of this podcast. Uh, every week, every week we're gonna try to have a theme as well too. Uh, so with the election coming up, uh, huge election, it's been kind of dragged out. I I just wanted a decision, you know. Same man, same. Uh, but we're gonna be talking about elections in movies as well as slightly political movies. Not more the latter, more the uh election elections in movies uh there's a few that i know where we know a lot about uh john knows more about the some of the movies than me but one of them i mean i even dressed up as a character from the movie for halloween when i was younger so i can talk about that later so let's let's get right into it you want me to lay them out for you pete yeah 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 let's let's talk about this so we we wanted to start with some funny election movies a little more lighthearted. Um, so we're going to give you the, the four big elections in movies that we came up with. Um, and the first one, Pete's going to talk about Napoleon Dynamite, maybe the most famous election in cinema history. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, very, very, very low stakes election. If we're comparing it to other movies, potentially very high stakes election, potentially very high. I mean, if you look at, if you look at Pedro, like wanting to make friends, yeah. Like if he wins, he's the man, you know, he even got that wig. So clearly it's Napoleon Dynamite uh, classic. I just think it's such a cult cult phenomenon, honestly. The the comedy and awkwardness of the movie really does something to me. It just makes me laugh every time. And just how it's these characters that you could just see on the street walking someday. You know, it's just so ordinary, the movie, yet so strange. Because Napoleon as a main character is someone that you know, filmmakers wouldn't think to make a movie about. And that's what I love about the movie. But yeah, the famous election, uh, Pedro, and then, you know, Napoleon does the dance as a campaign, which is a very interesting, uh, like, campaign strategy. But I mean, from that, from that election, the, the, the whole vote for Pedro slogan has become highly popularized in our culture. And on top of that, it's just a really good movie. Um, on on top of being a cult classic, I mean, it really made like John Hader as an actor. He went on to do things like Blades of Glory, um, more mainstream films. But for a small budget film, that's that's pretty much all you can expect. I don't know if there is a better cult classic type comedy out there. We can have that debate later, but I mean, <laughs> I mean, I, I remember even watching this movie in class just because it was. Like we were focusing on like high schools and like stuff, and we just watched Napoleon Dynamite. I don't know why, but I mean, interesting movie. But I mean, that's a movie too that I can quote. There are so many movies that I can quote, and that is one of them. Just, uh, I I love that movie. It's always something I can go back to. I mean, I have it on DVD. I remember watching it all the time. But I just think it's a great, great, great movie. All right, our next pick was a uh, election which you guys might not know about. It's a 1990s film, uh, kind of a breakout performance from Reese Witherspoon, who uh, went on to win Best Actress later for Walk the Line. But Matthew Broderick stars as the 
kind of school teacher and she's like this very motivated student running for this election and there's this whole scandal they're fighting the whole time and uh it kind of collapses in on itself it's one of those movies where you can see it's just heading towards destruction and you're just there for the ride um so that's a famous another famous election in cinema if you look up any of these if you look up like election movies online too and you'll find any of these movies um also really really good movie another kind of cult film then our third one was the campaign i'm a huge will ferrell fan i also love zach galifianakis yeah of course of course yeah i i want to see that pairing in another movie you know it might be i know will ferrell really hasn't i mean eurovision if you saw that that was yeah th- i mean that wasn't that wasn't bad I, it wasn't terrible yeah it was supposed to be worse than it was like it turned out to have some heart and him and Rachel McAdams had chemistry. I think Will Ferrell and John C. Riley have the best on on screen partnership. I mean, through Talladega Nights and Step Brothers. I mean, and Holmes and Watson, but <laughs> I haven't seen Holmes and Watson yet, and I don't yeah. know if I want to. to yeah, no, I think that is. I think that's uh, in terms of Rotten Tomatoes rating and Rotten Tomatoes clout. That's definitely like one of the the lowest uh, that I've seen. Uh, yeah, it just I've seen parts of it and then I actually turned it off. <laughs> it might be the it might be the worst Will Ferrell movie out there. Um I and you know, I haven't seen a lot of his like deeper stuff. I've seen a lot of Will Ferrell, but I'd say the worst I've seen so far would be probably um I don't know, Downhill this year was really bad. His movie with um, Oh, with Julia Louis Dreyfus. Yeah, that was like serious, but he just it, he wasn't bad, but the movie sucked. Screenplay was terrible. Um, and then probably the movie that he like stars in that I thought just was just terrible is one called a uh, superstar. You ever heard of that? I've never heard of that. No. Seems very underground, but <laughs> oh, it's very underground. He's like this, uh, popular high school boy that the like main character just wants to like kiss the whole time. Like he's like the boy of your dreams. It's, it's just a bad movie. Um, what year was that? 1999. Actually, the same year as election. Okay, because you, that's funny, because you said he's a high school boy, and I was like, like, Will Ferrell? What? <laughs> but then I, I was like, oh, must have been made so such a long time ago. But It's a little bit of a hot take, but I think Will Ferrell could play any role at any time, at any age in his career. He could play a high school boy now, and it's still the same Will Ferrell humor. I think we'd find it hilarious, you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I think you can do things with, like, facial, like how they did with the Irishman, you know, like with oh, the yeah. facial de-aging CGI, but uh, motion capture, but yeah. That was probably my least favorite part of the Irishman. It didn't look very good, I, in my opinion. Yeah, the part where De Niro uh, goes out and fights the guy, that looked, that looked so bad. I mean, De Niro's a great actor, but he... he we all know what he looks like. You can't take a guy like that and like age him back 30 years. You know what I mean? Exactly. Exactly. Uh, so the campaign, like we were saying, I, some parts of that movie are just, I find very funny. Like I, I was telling you about this earlier, but when they're at the dinner table and the son says, yeah, I, I let the dog lick peanut butter off my, <laughs> off my, off my dick. Like I, I, I just thought that was so funny. And cause you know, there's so many jokes about that and stuff. Just like if you want to mess around with these fans, be like, oh, yeah, you and your dog, eh? But like, yeah, I just I just thought that part was so funny and just the constant duel of them. But I mean, there are parts of that movie that I don't like. Oh, it's so up and down. I mean. Like whenever Farrell and Galifianakis are on screen, like that's the reason everyone watches the movie. Those are the guys that are on the cover. Those are the guys that make the magic. Those are the comedians. But then you had like this weird side plot with John Lithgow, like bringing in the whole like China rigging this like congressional election, renaming the town like America or something so they could build their goods in America when it's actually from China. Like, it's just weird. Um, but any time that there was like Pharaoh, when he, whether he's like punching the baby or Zach Galifianakis with his like tucked in shirt and like high pulled up. <laughs> parents like getting the approval of his daddy like <laughs> i i don't know if that was a meme but i could just see that picture being a meme and it's just like hey kids dinner at eight <laughs> and it's just like that like it's just zach alfanakis shirt tucked in <laughs> like it's just like you want to see any of those movies though if you're looking to uh 
get in the spirit of the election season. Especially if you want like some comedy with it, uh, just like satirical stuff, just because a lot of a lot of election movies aren't too serious. I mean, there are a few, but those are more older. But if you're looking at more modern stuff, it's it's mainly associates itself with comedies like even Veep, uh, which is a political show, does that. Yeah, that has a lot of satire on like current politics like that's still running, right? Yeah, I think so. Uh, HBO, Julia Louis-Dreyfus. I like Julia Louis-Dreyfus in that show, but. I like her. I like her a lot. Just I did not like her in Downhill at all. That was a bad movie. <laughs> I I probably will never watch that movie. Don't watch it. Don't watch it. Okay, so do you have any other movies, John? Yeah, I just wanted to touch on one more. Um, Idiocracy. I have not seen that one. That's a 2006 film, and um, it's kind of like the state of where you can see humanity going if you're not careful society just gets so dumbed down that like these normal people average americans that get like fast forwarded in time end up in like the year i want to say it's like around 2500 or something 2500 and like the world is just so dumb it's like run by like two companies and they like water all their plants with gatorade because like that's one of the companies or like some type of weird power drink so it's then this like average guy ends up running for office in the end um and by the av- by the way the like one of the average guys is, is like luke wilson and dax shepherd who are not oh my not, god so they're already not not super smart like they're, they're already actors, they're, you know what i mean yeah, they're already pretty average guys <laughs> it's just like <laughs> i think maya rudolph's also in that film it's been a little while since i watched it but also decently highly rated um Another good election film. That one might be more accurate to the state the world's in right now. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah. Uh, also, uh, we wanted to touch on some series. Uh, I know we were talking about House of Cards. I mean, it's just a... I mean, everything in that show is political, clearly. Uh, oh, it's so it's so good. I mean, the first few seasons... It's yeah, first few to... seasons, yeah. It goes downhill then, but... In term in terms of Netflix originals, I really think that kicked off uh the sort of onslaught of Netflix originals and Netflix producing their own shows because of how successful House of Cards was initially. And this year is the perfect year for Netflix. If you're if you're an executive, I mean they're like their viewing shares just gone way up. Oh yeah, because yeah, people can't go out to theaters, you know. The only the only movie I've seen in a theater since uh March was tenant i mean i i wasn't not gonna see tenant in a theater but, yeah i saw it too <laughs> yeah but i i mean that was that's the only one i've seen you know i've just been watching i've gotten into hbo series as well like succession uh watchmen i watched which are both incredible but you know i've just it's, that's that's why streaming services are doing so well right now it's because we can't go anywhere you know yeah i posted i had a i have a films instagram and i posted a post about I'm calling it the year of Netflix for films because I truly believe it is. I don't know if Netflix is going to have another year like this where they just like kind of have so many movies that are like the popular movies of the year because everyone watches Netflix at this point. Um, and this year, I think they're going to have a lot of movies really in contention for awards. I mean, like Spike Lee had a film on there this year, Defy Bloods already. Oh, so good. So good. I, lo- I like that movie a lot. Yeah. Aaron Sorkin, Trial of the Chicago 7. Both those movies are going to be like. I mean, I mean, if we're talking Academy stuff, if Aaron Sorkin is behind a project that he's writing it, he's probably going to get nominated for an Oscar. I yeah, at least for the screenplay, that. right? <laughs> I don't. I mean, his direction's a little. We can talk about that late in future episode or something when we review one of his movies. We can talk about it now, Pete. We'll talk about it now. Uh, all right. Yeah. So I just, I just don't really like Sorkin's direction. Uh, during Mo- I mean, Molly's game was fine. It was a little choppy. But, I mean, his writing, I think, is unmatched uh, in terms of just how natural it is and how realistic his dialogue is. Uh, I, you can speak to it as well, but I just don't think his direction is quite there yet. I think, uh, like, David Fincher did a really good job with The Social Network with the direction of that. And Of course, I, yeah. I, I think if Sorkin directed that, it wouldn't be as heavily lauded as it is. Uh, just because Fincher can really handle that kind of stuff. He did it with Gone Girl. He's done it with multiple movies, but I just don't think Sorkin knows enough about directing 
uh, at this current point to go down and maybe even get a nomination, you know, for something. Whereas he would clearly get the nomination for a screenplay just because he is such a talented writer. Yeah. And um, there's just a couple of points I want to touch on after your last little spiel there. Uh, Aaron Sorkin as a writer is probably one of the best writers in Hollywood right now. I mean, he wrote what Moneyball, the social network. Um, he wrote the trial of the Chicago seven on top of directing it. But this review that really stuck with me, I recently found on Letterboxd said that Aaron Sorkin as a writer should not be forced to work with such a mediocre director as Aaron Sorkin. Um, as in, he should just stick to writing. I, I agree with that. That's his sweet spot. So yeah, and we'll we'll talk about later in the episode. Actually, uh, it's actually our pick of the week, but we'll get to that later. But uh, the writer of that, uh, the director of that, is primarily known as a writer. But I think they did a really effective job in directing that movie. So and sometimes you can make a transition. I just haven't seen it with Aaron Sorkin yet. And and I'm I'm not going to mistake it. Trial of the Chicago Trial of the Chicago Seven is a good movie. Um. He didn't exactly ruin it with his directing. I just think it could have been more. As is Molly's game. Like I, I enjoy, I enjoyed Molly's game, but I just, from a critical aspect, I just thought there were some things that could have been better, and the direction is definitely one of those. And while we're on um, the subject of Netflix and writing and directing, and David Fincher, um, he David Fincher also has a film coming up this December on Netflix called Mank. It's an old Hollywood film starring Gary Oldman. Um, Ooh, I love Gary Oldman. I actually have not not heard of this one. This is not this has not been on my radar. No. Look it up. Um, it's actually I think it's the favorite right now for Best Picture, in like in the odds out there. Um, among critics, it's just been insane. They're calling it David Fincher's best movie since The Social Network. It's one of those old Hollywood films, so you know the Academy's just gonna eat it up. Oh, of course, yeah, yeah. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood did so well, like stuff like that. There's some things that just cater to the Academy really well. And I think David Fincher movies are a big example of that. And music, music biopics too recently, just the Academy loves them. Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't think Rocketman got enough love as it should have. Really? You don't think so? I mean, it was a strong year for movies. Yeah, yeah, it was a strong year, but it won best song. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I, I'm just talking about uh, Taron Egerton's performance, how it didn't even get how it didn't even get a nomination. Whereas Rami Malek, I think, did the same exact thing, pretty much. But you know, he won. He just did it a year sooner. <laughs> it was revolutionary when he did it. When when uh, Taron did it, it was what happened the year before. Yeah. Um, he won the Golden Globe, though. I think Taron. He did. He did win the Golden Globe. He did win the Golden Globe, but. And the Golden Globes is unique, though, because there's the best actor in a drama and the best actor in a comedy musical. Direct parallel from that, Aquafina, who won for comedy and musical at the Golden Globes, didn't get a nomination at the Academy Awards. Oh, The Farewell. That was a, that was a good movie, A24. I actually watched that for an Asian-American studies class. Oh, nice. Nice. Yeah, I like that movie. Yeah, very good movie. But I, I do find that interesting. Normally, though, that year was kind of odd because normally the winners, at least, of Best Actor in a Comedy are at least nominated for the Best Actor Oscar. You know what I mean? Um, and while we're on that subject of music biopics, too, my point was this year, another music biopic coming out called Sound of Metal with uh, Riz Ahmed should be in. It's supposed to be Best Actor favorite. So we'll Is see. that a true story? I don't know. Um, I think I'm going to wait to watch the movie and I'll try to figure out if it's a true story and then look it up after like I do. I know that that, uh, I know that that movie is going on prime directly. It's one of those prime originals, uh, like beautiful boy. Uh, there's multiple movies like that, but I still haven't seen beautiful boy. Bro. <laughs> it, 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 you're not missing much. Honestly, I can't get around to Timothy Chalamet. I really can't. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> that's fair. Hollywood just gassed him up too much, but. Uh, yeah, so it's going to be one of those prime originals. And also on this podcast, we want to let you know where you can reach out and find these movies, aka what streaming services, just because there are so many now. So uh, Idiocracy, uh, out of the ones we've talked about today, that is the only one available 
uh, if you have a streaming service, that's available on HBO. So go give that a watch. Oh, yeah. It's definitely worth it. Oh, and I don't know if I mentioned, but Mank will be on Netflix. Yep, Netflix original. Great. Once again, Netflix taking the cake for the year. Yeah, oh, yeah. I mean, ever since The Irishman, I think, I think they've produced pretty quality content. I mean, The Irish, they had, what, Roma the year before? Roma, Roma was the year before. That kind of kicked everything off, I think. Then The Irishman, The Two Popes, that got nominations for Best Actor and Best Supporting Actor. Um, Marriage Story was Netflix. Yeah. They've really been cleaning up, so. And all those movies, the good thing I like about Netflix originals, all those movies should always be on Netflix. I don't know why they'd ever take them off. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if they're going to be Netflix originals, I'd I'd sure hope they'd be there forever. And they have the largest budget and the largest resources right now in the film industry, so they're able to take on projects. I think they're funding like a $250 million Martin Scorsese project next year. Jeez. (laughs) We're just going to see Netflix take over. And they are. They already are. Whether you realize it or not, yeah. Yeah, it's like a it's like a Disney situation where they're just making so much content at such an insane pace that I just think they're they're going to be so profitable, and we're going to see much more things to come in the future. Yeah, I think what Netflix is kind of doing with the critically acclaimed films and like drama films is what Disney basically has done with animation in the last like seventy years. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so. If you do, you have any other uh, election election movies? Because on my end, I really don't. No, I think we we went over what House of Cards campaign, idiocracy. Another another uh, another series I wanted to highlight is The Politician. Uh, it's a Netflix series. It's about high school politics in the first season, and then it uh, gets to congressional uh, national politics in the second season. But uh, I mean, it's it's all right. It's Ryan Murphy. Uh, if you know who Ryan Murphy is, he's kind of the the king of like the teen uh, series and stuff like with Glee and such. But it's an all right series, I will say. Uh, ben Platt stars in it. Oh, Ben Platt. Yeah, primarily pr- primarily known as a theater actor. He was in Pitch Perfect as well. But he so he stars in it. Gwyneth Paltrow is in it. A lot of a lot of big names in it, but uh, I think it's an all right show. I think it's all right. Uh, definitely could be better. You know, it's one of those it's one of those Netflix shows that you kind of scroll by and don't think much of. But the sole I'm just bringing it up because the sole purpose of it is politics, and it involves a lot of elections, which we were bringing up today this week. So I thought I'd just mention that quick plug for the politician on Netflix. Of course, of course. I'm I'm waiting for Ben Platt to break out into movies more and shows there's actually a richard linklater project uh it's a it's a musical it's being filmed over 30 years like how he did with boy like how he did with boyhood uh it's starring beanie feldstein uh ben platt and uh what's his face blake jensen i think his name is he was in uh everybody wants some uh, so it's a musical. It's called Merrily We Roll Along. It wasn't a, I know it wasn't a very successful musical when it came out, but it's going to be filmed over 30 years. So I believe they already started filming, but it's going to be released in 30 years. I think, I think Richard Linklater's whole, whole thing seems to be, if it, I mean, if that's true, which it sounds like it is, he just likes to, to, break the barriers of film like what was boyhood 12 years he filmed that 12 over? years i mean and he did the before before uh trilogy you know those were filmed over a long period of time but involves same characters and such i haven't seen those but that's that's ethan hawk as well those are all on my watch list those are supposed to be like the greatest like ro- romance movies some of them of all time i mean that's not really my thing but i i've i think i've seen two of them i haven't seen the last one I mean, you know, if it's the greatest of its genre, it's worth at least a watch, probably. You know what I mean? Romance movies are things that, you know, with Nicholas Sparks and everything, just can be really bad and just can be, like, unwatchable. So, I think the wildest part about uh, Boyhood, I know we're 
kind of going in way different directions here right now but yeah we are but you know we're tangenting but that's fine uh the budget was only four million dollars yeah that's the thing that's the thing some of those movies uh like the deep cut i wouldn't call them deep cut movies because they are critically acclaimed but some like you know movies don't have to have a crazy big budget like you see these marvel movies with budgets of what what was Endgame's budget like 300 million yeah something around there somewhere around there but just you don't you know you don't need these astronomical budgets to make great great material and i think if you have a good script a good director great acting you know you can make a great movie for like we were talking about napoleon dynamite like what was the budget like five thousand dollars or something like something like i think that's what i think that's what they paid john Hader. yeah like that which is none like that's nothing but it's made so much oh my god (laughs) it's a very successful movie you know you don't need crazy monetary funding so i think that's what i wanted to highlight there Uh, on this podcast as well, we're going to bring up some news. Uh, we failed to mention this in the beginning of the show, but hopefully in the future, uh, we can do this before our content, for our weekly uh, unique content. So we wanted to bring up The Mandalorian. Oh, yeah. Great show. Yeah. Yeah. So John and I actually watch every episode together on Disney Plus's new uh, streaming. Group it's streaming sort of, service. Yeah. Group, yeah. Group streaming service within within the app uh and it was great i mean we love the mandalorian we love star wars we're both kind of star wars nerds when it comes to that i i I know i was i had my queel uh from the first season the nick nolte character the my queel funko pop i saw that and 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 i was drink i was drinking a uh uh, i was drinking a water i was drinking a water out of my boba fett uh cup holder so you know i was i was quite there when we were watching it <laughs> well audience some of us can be nerds but still be relatively normal pete's taking it to a whole new level i'm taking it to a whole nother level yeah my family my family calls me names and stuff because of it so <laughs> no i'm kidding but uh so so we watched that uh i mean i'm so excited for season two i think there's going to be a lot of uh star wars stuff with like sabine wren and osaka Ahsoka. Ahsoka. I always want to say Ahsoka. Ahsoka, that will just be brought up in season two, which I'm really, really excited for. Uh, And, you know, the budget for that also increased uh, just because of the success of season one. So I'm excited to see where they go. I mean, what a, I mean, just all around, what a great show. Uh, Season one was very popular, really, actually, culturally big with Baby Yoda. Baby Yoda, dude, yeah. That's the the symbol. That's what the show's become known for. Um, which take it as it is, it's not necessarily a bad or good thing, but it the show's a lot cooler than just Baby Yoda, if you haven't seen it. Baby Yoda's cute. He steals a lot of scenes, but the Mandalorian also steals like half the scenes. The gadgets and everything, and I, I like how it's taking stories that aren't, you know, affiliated with the Jedi, and it's kind of this westerny off the grid feel which oh, it's I re- definitely western yeah i just think it's great and also the score for the mandalorian oh ludwig yeah we're we're, we're big ludwig Gorenson fans on the podcast uh i think one of the best composers working today even though he is so young i think he's gonna keep continuing to produce great quality scores for movie and tv alike i mean i mean we saw it with tenet 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 will Tenet will be a nominee for best score at the Oscars. And if it isn't, then I don't know what they're smoking at the Academy. Exactly. Uh, but yeah. And even uh, he does Ryan Coogler's movies too. He he has already won an Oscar, Ludwig Gorenson, for Black Panther for the score, which I thought for a Marvel movie, that score really, really stood out. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so we're big Ludwig Gorenson fans on the pod. We will talk about him a lot, but I just said I, th- I think he's going to be a uh, also a fixture of Nolan's films coming up. Uh, Nolan uses usually uses what Hans Zimmer. Hans Zimmer, yeah. But he's get he's getting older, right? Yeah, and I don't. I think he was already on a project at the time that Nolan was approaching him for Tenet. 
Uh, so he just approached Goranson. Oh, Hans Zimmer's still young too, but but yeah, you're right. I mean, Hans Zimmer's done everything, man. He's done so much, but he's one of those big names. Uh, I mean, either way, you can't go wrong with either guy. I think like no one seems to know what a good composer looks like. Yeah, at this point, I think at this point, I think Goranson has proved himself enough for acclaimed directors to approach him and have him do a score just because he can do so many genres. I mean, you saw it with the African tribal music in, I mean, he went to Africa, I think it was for like six months and just studied their musical patterns and their instruments to implement a black Panther, which I thought was great. And even for the Mandalorian, he's taking a sound that you wouldn't typically associate with star Wars. Like if you heard it, you know, like the opening theme, yeah. If you if you take that, you wouldn't necessarily associate it with Star Wars, but yet when you hear it, you're like, oh, that's the Mandalorian. It's so recognizable, but it's so it's still different from Star Wars. And I think the Mandalorian theme can go down as a great theme for like a, a association with a character. I think it definitely can at this point. I did not know he spent that much time in Africa. I mean, that's like method composing. Almost. Yeah, that's like method composing right there. But... Wow, that's like he's like the Daniel Day Lewis of composers. <laughs> Maybe not yeah. that far, but still pretty far. <laughs> not to that extent, no. <laughs> Does anyone touch Daniel Day Lewis for a method? I mean, <laughs> him and Bale. Oh, Bale with the weight loss. In terms of physicality, yeah, I don't think Daniel Day Lewis has really physically, like in terms of his body, has changed like his weight or anything for a role. But if you talk about that, I mean, Joaquin and Christian Bale do it a lot, so. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Christian Bale. Have you ever seen the pictures of him in like Machinist versus Yeah? Oh Vice? yeah, Vice. Oh, yeah, it's ridiculous. God. It's ridiculous. I, when I watched Vice, like if if I didn't know that Christian Bale was starring in it going into the movie, I don't think I would have thought it was Bale. He was huge. Also, yeah, a similar thing that we're really excited for uh, is Batman, and I was I was just gonna bring that up because you mentioned the like the weight gain for a role Colin Farrell in that movie in the trailer. And if you haven't seen the trailer, there's this one shot of Colin Farrell. I actually didn't know it was Colin Farrell. I had to go on like film Twitter and look and people were freaking out that it was Colin Farrell because they did something to his appearance that just did not make him look like Colin Farrell, but apparently it's him and he's going to be the penguin, I think. Yeah, or, or a similar character. I I don't think they've called it the Penguin yet, but everyone knows it's the Penguin. I'm I'm excited for that. Uh, directed by Matt Reeves, who did the Planet of the Apes movies, which I honestly think are underrated. Oh, they're great. The Planet of the Apes are good movies. Really. Yeah, good. yeah. Uh, I just think they're so like overshadowed by you know they come out in the same time as like Marvel movies and stuff. Yeah, it's hard to compete with Marvel in like any type of action genre at this point. And even Star Wars at that point with the trilogy that just came out. Yeah. I think maybe even the Hobbit movies were, were coming out at that time, like the later ones. Yeah, so I think those are good movies. I think he can do a great he can do a great job with this Batman movie. It seems a little dark. It does seem a little dark, which is honestly exciting. Because, you know, in the Nolan movies, they I mean, I'm not dissing the Nolan movies in any way. Yeah, you can't but diss those. You can't diss the Nolan movies, but I just think that Reeves is going to take a really different approach to the character of Batman, going to make him sort of this darker character that is kind of low key, because you know in the in the Nolan movies, you know they know about Batman, but like in in the Reeves movie, I feel like they're going to make him sort of this really underground vigilante, uh, as well as the with the character of Catwoman played by Zoe Kravitz in in the upcoming Batman movie, I just think they're going to make him really underground. I think that's going to be interesting to see. I think with Batman, I mean, I'm not a director of Batman, but it seems like the successful attempts in history have been, because I mean, a lot of people, actors and directors have attempted Batman or superhero films in general. But I think the key is a different approach. Like you have to take it kind of drastically different because if you take it in a new direction, no one knows really what to expect. But if you're taking it in the same direction as a previous director, I mean, it's either better or worse. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. I think what Nolan did that a lot of other 
what I don't think any other Batman director did was he made it kind of about the villains. You know what I mean? Like you're focused on Keith Ledger as the Joker. Christian Bale's great, but you're not focused on his performance at all. You're focused on Heath Ledger's. Then you're focused on Bane, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, it's 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 a very different approach from like the Adam West Batman that you you were like. That's a prime example of where it just focuses on Batman. And it just paints him as this amazing hero, you know, just saving the day in all circumstances. Where Heath, you focus on Heath Ledger, and you're like, oh, this Joker is so dynamic. He knows exactly what he's doing. He is such a meticulous villain, such a great villain. And I think that that's part of the reason why he steals the show for sure. And then like Tom Hardy was Bane, right? And he wasn't bad at all. No, no. Also very good. I mean, there's that iconic scene of like the Heinz Field Steelers Stadium. Yeah, huge Tom Hardy fan. I'm a huge Tom Hardy fan. Oh, he's good. Don't watch Capone. That was the worst, (laughs) one of the worst moves I've ever seen. Dude, that the release for that was so low key. Like it just like the trailer just kind of dropped, and I remember watching it. And I was like, "Why have I not heard about this?" You know, this is. Like, I seriously think after they made that movie, they did not market that at all. They should not have. They shouldn't have. Um, I wish I never heard of it because I seriously think after that movie, that maybe the entire cast and like producers sat back and watched it and they probably had a serious debate on whether or not it was whether even worth to release or just to get rid of. Yeah. I mean, you can't, it was set up for failure. They made the movie about Al Capone's last year of his life when he's like riddled with like some disease. I want to say it's like an STD or something. I'm just sensing that as like the like the last two hours of the Irishman just but made just so much worse. Like I feel like it's nothing dynamic at all. It's literally it's literally Al Capone just like coughing all the time and like not like almost no flashbacks or anything. Like nothing. Just sitting there like you just watch like the last year of it whoever made it must have hated Al Capone and just like I want to show him what it was like when he when he was like was diseased. Um, and you know, it was maybe an attempt to get Hardy some type of acting nominations. Cause like it, it was a hard role to play, but it's just Tom Hardy coughing for an hour and a half. Um, on top of that, it's just weird and kind of gross, like really gross. Um, I don't want to watch an old man with, I think it's syphilis. He has just like <laughs> so bad. And, and it wasn't even like true to reality, apparently. The film wasn't historically accurate in almost any way. So, just a bad movie. Yeah. Uh, also, as we're bringing up DC properties with Batman, uh, DC Fandom was a big thing that happened uh, about, I'd say about a month ago, but also the Suicide Squad, the remake with, that James Gunn is directing. I'm very excited for that. Is that a director's cut? No. So, so... Uh, who directed the first Suicide Squad? Was it? It was the same guy who did Justice League, right? I'm thinking. What am I thinking of? In which there's a director's cut coming out. Uh, Zack Snyder with Justice League. That's it. That's it. Another DC property. Okay, so Suicide Squad. You know the one with George, with Jared Leto and uh, Hart as the Joker. You know, just not. I did not think it was a good movie. Uh, directed by David Ayer. But that movie, just because of how much money I think it failed to make and the kind of the critical failure of it, I'd say. Uh, James Gunn, the director of uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, as well as Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Yeah, yeah, I like him a lot. He does a lot of, he works a lot of comedy into the superhero genre, which I like a lot. He's making a version of the Suicide Squad with new characters as well, which is, I think is really interesting. And by the looks of it, it's going to be such a spectacle. I mean, I, he is keeping Jared Leto as the Joker though, right? No, 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 no. The Joker is completely cut out of it. Uh, I think the only character that is from the last movie is uh, Joel Kinnaman's character. Uh, I forget his name. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to pull this up. But oh wait, I know shoot! Ho- I think I see this. Harley um, Quinn, Harley Quinn is in it. Uh, 
And that's going to be Robbie again. Yeah, it says yeah, the, yeah, yeah. Robbie Kinnaman, Viola Davis, and Jai Courtney are returning. Uh, in their respective roles. It's sad. I mean, the first one had what? Will Smith, Jared Leto, Margot Robbie, Viola Davis, just to name a few, just butchered it. Yeah, exactly. I know in this next movie, Idris Elba is going to be in it, and he's playing this character named Bloodsport, who's a very similar uh, character to Deadshot, Will Smith's character in the first movie. Uh, as well, they're going to introduce John Cena as the peacemaker in, 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 in an interview. He, and they're also making a spinoff series just based off that character or a spinoff movie. Uh, but his name is the Peacemaker. Very, very deep cut of a DC villain. But there. Uh, so pretty much his thing is he wants peace at all costs. And he's in an interview. He said he was a douchey Captain America. So I'm so excited to see that, you know, John Cena working his way into the DC universe. Uh, Michael Rooker as well, playing a character called Savant. Uh, Looks like he's wearing a, in the production pictures, he's wearing a blonde wig, blonde long wig. So, I mean, picture Michael Rooker in a long blonde wig. Not a great sight. Yeah, I don't want to, I don't want to think about that. They'll make it look good. I'm, I'm confident. Yeah, as well as Pete Davidson's going to be in it. Oh, yikes. Oh, I love Pete Davidson. He's playing a character called Blackguard. Not really sure of the deal of that, but apparently all of these uh, all of these heroes are just super, super deep, deep cut characters uh, from the DC universe and like comics and stuff and villains in comics that they're just bringing. Uh, there's going to be a character named Polka Dot Man who his his suit is it has polka dots but he can rip off the polka dots and throw it and he can make any object out of those polka dots yeah it's so well that's gonna be cool to see that's one of those like low-key introduced superheroes that actually has more powers than everyone else you know what i mean and there's gonna be a nathan fillion appearance in that movie as well wow this is star studded yeah it really is uh it comes out in 2021 uh, the the letterboxed plot for this just says boom, <laughs> like that's all it says. So not probably not some information on this, but this is definitely going to be a very highly anticipated movie. Uh, so Nathan Fillion, like I said, he's playing this character named TDK. Seems like a very Captain America esque, just like jacked character. Uh, so we'll see with that. There's also a character that's literally just a shark. It's just a walking shark. Uh, so we'll see that as well in that movie. So I'm I'm really excited for this movie. Is it going to win as many Oscars as the first one, though? As the first Suicide Squad. Did you know that it won an Oscar for Best Makeup and Hairstyling? No. Yeah, it won an Oscar. I think it's like one of the worst um, <sighs> movies to win an Oscar ever. I mean, I'm sure the makeup and hairstyling was good. You just look at Margot Robbie's character for example, but still, uh, I do not want to consider that movie with any mention of the Oscar in the same sentence. So. I probably shouldn't have said that. <laughs> you, you, you just kind of ruined my day there. <laughs> no. So that's coming out. I'm so excited for that. Uh, so yeah, that was fandom. That's what came out at fandom, which was pretty much just the DC response to Marvel dropping all those future projects like Blade, WandaVision, the Loki spinoff series, Falcon and Winter Soldier, all those. Uh, it seems to be this like eternal battle between Marvel and DC. Um, but Marvel's just so much better. At the moment. Yeah, at the moment. We'll see what DC produces. but DC has some great characters that just haven't been utilized. You know what I mean? Yeah, I feel like it's an Apple-Samsung relationship there where it's like, you know, DC may be all right. Like some of their properties are all right. Like some of the phones are all right, Samsung. But in the end, but in the end, we all have iPhones and Marvel is Apple. And they're just like (laughs) controlling what we watch pretty much and like where we go to the when we go to the theaters and stuff. But I think what DC has failed to do recently is put comedy in their superhero movies like as much as Marvel has. Like you look at Deadpool, for example, that yeah, that's, a... and even like Thor Ragnarok is really funny movie. Like yeah, yeah, 
I think also Taika, Taika Waititi had a lot to do with that. But yeah, I agree. Marvel does introduce uh, comedy into it a lot more. And I think DC kind of feels like they have this obligation where they have to be so not truthful to the subject matter, but they just don't want to deter from like this seriousness vibe that superheroes give off that they want to just make this content that seems like it's just so fabricated and just so idealistic superhero movie inter- as opposed to Marvel, which I think at times associates comedy into their movies so well. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I think with, with the suicide squad, that might be DC's inroad at comedy. Um, but still, I, I don't see DC movies being as popular as Marvel anytime in the near future. Although the universes both have great characters, like I've said, it's just been kind of mismanaged. I mean, Marvel makes so much money. DC makes a decent amount, but but it's not close. All right, so I think it's time that we should get to our uh, pick of the week. Hidden gem of the week, here we go. Hidden gem of the week, yep. So every week, like we mentioned, we're going to highlight a hidden gem of the week, uh, kind of what it's about without spoiling anything, and uh, where you can watch it. Sounds like a plan. So our hidden gem of the week comes from A24, great production company, and the uh, the likes of Ethan Hawke in the star role. Uh, Paul Schrader directing just great script great direction great acting it's called First Reformed uh, 2017 film and it gets really deep Uh, a lot of real deep conversations on on religion and faith and and climate change which is an interesting subject but it, it ties it perfectly together Pete thoughts yeah so I also wanted to highlight just what's about so it's ethan hawk he's a priest and uh he deals with these like environmental issues and he's kind of having this internal battle about it and there's some legalities that come into play but yeah i think ethan hawk gives one of the best performances of his career Uh, i know that sounds pretty bold but uh after viewing this movie i really thought he did such a great job and it's really a shame he didn't get any uh it's a damn shame yeah, it's it's really a damn shame that he didn't get uh, much. I mean, he got critical acclaim, but in terms of award shows, he really didn't get that much pickup, even from like the Critics' Choice Awards. I think he didn't really get that much pickup. So it's a hot take, but I I think that was the best acting performance of that year. Oh, yep. I forget who won that year, but here I'll look it up. Wait, wait what? I think it would have been. It was released in May 2018, right? So that was a just a. You don't want to release a movie. Yeah. No, in terms of award season, yeah, you want to really release your your product October to December, maybe even January. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, but then you start getting like in the weeds. Let's see. So 2019. Was it Rami? Wait, who? That was Rami Malik, I believe. No, that was 2018. I thought. Was it Gary Oldman? Gary Oldman. Oh wait, it was Rami Malek. Rami Malek, right? It was Rami. Okay. Gary Oldman would would have been the year before. Okay, so it was Rami. Um, you were so, right. Yeah, yeah. I just it did get it did get an Academy Award nomination though. First Reformed. Uh, I believe Paul Schrader did for his uh, original script. Uh, again, the director also he wrote it. He also wrote Taxi Driver. Uh obviously one of like the most heavily lauded movies of all time both great scripts super existential i think and also in first reformed uh i think amanda seyfried puts up a really good dramatic performance you don't really see that from her no you don't <laughs> mama mia is what i think of yeah you kind of you kind of see the comedy musical route uh you know kind of just playing the same character in every role but i think she really did a great job with this role uh it was definitely a difficult role to play as well as cedric the entertainer uh but he doesn't go in the in the listings for the cast and the credits he doesn't go by cedric the entertainer he goes by his real name which 
uh, he goes by Cedric Kyles, which is his real name. So, but I thought he put up a good performance as well. Uh, just a movie that really didn't get that much. Like if I mentioned first reformed, hence why it's our uh, sleeper of the week. Uh, you know, people really wouldn't know what it is. And it's, it's like you said earlier, it's a damn shame because I think it, it really is a great movie. I mean, it's so deep. You just got to be ready to think. Um, I love when movies make you do that. And it's, you know, it's A24, which has been, A24 has been producing the best films consistently for years now. Just a super underrated production company, though. It does, it has gotten its credit. Um, You've seen it with, like, Lady Bird, Room. Even Moonlight, I mean. Moonlight, I mean, that's a best picture right there. But I think every year, A24 has got, like, two or three seriously considered films at least in my mind for for the best film of the year and first reform is one of those definitely definitely it's not just a hidden gem it's like a hidden super gem it's it's a great movie yeah and i think a lot of the times a24 they deal with religion a lot and that's what first reformed really focuses on like this religion and uh kind of just like questioning of religion as well i know there's there's a movie coming out it's called saint maud uh the trailer for that is so scary that's like a horror film yeah right yeah that's another a24 produced one that involves religion uh, as well as midsummer even even hereditary uh i mean they all really focus on a20 uh religion and i think they do a great job of that uh a24 hereditary and midsummer both directed by ari aster um I recently heard, though, that he's not directing a horror film again, or like he's pledged to not direct any more horror films, which just seems like those are the two movies he's directed, both great horror films. Like, that seems like his sweet spot. You know what I mean? Yeah. So hopefully Ari Aster does well with his whatever his next project is. We'll see. We'll see. Seems like a great director, though, so I'm sure he can pull it off. Yep. All right. Well, I think that's going to wrap up our conversation for the week, unless you have something to say, John. No, I don't. Um, I think it's been a good first episode. We, we've covered a lot of things. We covered uh, election movies, uh, First Reformed. Go out, watch it. Let us know what you think. As well as just news within uh, the film community and stuff that has come out and that we're excited for. Uh, also, I wanted to mention that First Reformed is available on Prime Video. You did mention that, Pete. I did? Okay. So that's going to... All right, that's going to be... That's going to be where you can find that. So give it a watch. Sweet. All right. Thanks for listening. I'll see you guys uh, next week.